Welcome to Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. Our vision is to extend and establish the influence of the Kingdom of God by equipping the saints for the work of ministry. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by the Word of God. This morning I'm carrying on on the same theme that we opened up last week. The subject is sowing the Kingdom. And today we're going to talk about something that I'm calling undistracted devotion. But before I do that, I want to just once again, very briefly, bring us into context. Context is important. You know, if we just have words that are outside of context, we miss the bigger picture. Amen? We may be blessed by that little word, but I think when we see the bigger picture, we understand the context of a word, we can apply it to our lives all the better. Amen? So what is the context that we're speaking into? What is this year all about? Our focus as a fellowship this year is in the realization of the promises and the blessings of God. That this could be a year where, 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 where unprecedented realization, where unprecedented growth, uh, where, the, where the achieving and the realization of potential can take place if we are faithful with that, with, with that which we've been given. That is the context of, into which I'm ministering. The context that says, to realize the value of something, you need to give it away. Now, I'm not going to speak about all of that again, um, but it's good to be cognizant of these things. Last week, we spoke a little bit about Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, speaking about being filled with all the fullness of God. And we all said, yeah, I want to be filled with all the fullness of God. And, and we got to the point where we realized that for, in order to be filled to the fullness, we need to be empty to the fullness. Does that make sense? In other words, we need to be empty vessels that can receive. And the way we, only way we get empty is by pouring out. So to realize the value and to realize the fullness of God, we have to be giving away regularly that which we have received. What does that mean? That means as we receive love, we give it away. As we receive forgiveness, we give it away. As we receive blessing, we in turn bless. Amen? Freely you have received. Freely give. That you may realize what? A harvest. Because what you give is a seed that produces harvest. And from that harvest you have more seed to keep sowing and growing. Sowing and growing. That's how the kingdom of God is. Again and again and again, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like. And one of his favorite analogies was a seed. Or like yeast. When it's sown, it grows and it becomes greater and greater and greater. The fullness of God, we said, is the harvest that one experiences of a life that sows the kingdom of God. We looked at understanding the kingdom of God. Kingdom, the word made up of two words. King, in other words, ruler, overseer, governor, big cheese, big wig, fat cat, I don't know how you want to call it. You know, the king. And dom, for the domain over which that king exercises rulership. We spoke that the kingdom of God is more than just an association. In other words, when we belong to the kingdom, when we become citizens of the kingdom, we're not just, it's not like we just have this passport or an ID book and it says, okay, now I'm, I'm saved, I belong to Jesus. That means one day when I die, I'm going to heaven. And that is the total kingdom expression in our lives. No, that's not what the kingdom of God is all about. Because the kingdom of God is a kingdom about expression. Not just affiliation. Okay? We looked at some quotes by a man by the name of Alexander Fenter, and I'll read them to you again just to, to, to make this uh, alive again in our hearts. He says, The kingdom of God in Scripture is not an idea, it is an event. An intervention of God in human history. 
You know, Jesus said to some, the kingdom of God has come to you today. We looked last week at a scribe, and we'll touch on it again. He said, you know, you have a wonderful revelation. You have, excuse me, a wonderful understanding of, of the law. You are not far from the kingdom. There was an event that hadn't yet taken place in his life. When, it, when, when the kingdom of God happens, you can see it. It's an event. It's when the power of God, it's when the supernatural power of God comes into our natural world and does something that is supernatural, does something that is miraculous, like the forgiveness of sins, like healing, like deliverance. Amen? Forgiveness of sins. You say, is that miraculous? Yes. God's forgiveness. Salvation is the greatest miracle. Another quote from Alexander Fenter says, The kingdom is the rule of God. The church is the community that receives and expresses that rule of God. In other words, so the kingdom of God begins where? In the hearts and minds of the citizens of God. God rules our hearts. Not by domination, but because we freely give Him lordship. We freely give Him rulership. And as He rules and leads in our hearts, we begin to express His heart. The kingdom of God is a kingdom and it, that is founded on the expression of who He is. In other words, the a kingdom is always a reflection of the king. A company is a reflection of the, of the owners, of the directors. A church is a reflection of the the leaders of the church. A home is a reflection of the of the Father. This is a true revelation. You should be saying amen to that. Or are you going, uh oh. Because oh. <laughs> that's kind of a sobering thing, isn't it? But the kingdom of God is a reflection of the king. And and what is our king? Our God is Love. He's great, and He has great love. But yes, our God is love. There's one scripture in the Bible that says, For God is love. Love is not an attribute of God. It is not a characteristic of God. It is God. And so, where the kingdom of God, where the rulership of God is expressed, what does it look like? It is love. And let me tell you folks, love looks like something. Now, too often in the church, we have this reactional idea of, of the love of God. The, when it abides within us, it enables us to forgive those who have wronged us. In other words, it's reactive to something that is done. But the love of God is not reactive. It is proactive. The love of God is like this. For God so loved the world that He proactively gave His Son. He did something about the situation. And when the love of God is formed in our hearts, when it becomes mature, when, when we are touched by it, when we are changed by it, when we are conformed into the, the image of love, we are no longer just reactional disciples. We are no longer just reactional people in the world watching what's going on around us and, and doing our best to kind of forgive and not take offense and worry about our little help. No, no, no. When the love of God has become mature in our hearts, we become proactive people. That is how the kingdom advances. That is how the kingdom grows. What is our vision in this fellowship? To extend and establish the influence of God's love in our city and beyond. That love looks like something, don't you agree? It's not a passive thing. 
The kingdom of God is all about God-inspired, God-empowered change that begins in the heart. You see, it's very easy for us to start a program at church, for us to organize an outreach, and for us to do something, and to get people involved. You know, getting volunteers really isn't all that difficult. Most people have a desire to serve in one way or another, and you just have to push the right button, and they'll come along, and they'll help you. And... But that's not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is not about some kind of external influence upon. The kingdom of God is a motivation that comes from within where we are so touched and changed by the love of God that, that, that something happens inside of us that inspires change, that inspires surrender, that, ins- that, that causes us to yield to the Lordship and to the will of God. Whatever that may be and whatever that may look like. We did look last week, and I'm going to talk about it now, Mark chapter 12. I won't read the whole synopsis for you, but uh, the, the whole portion of Scripture. But Jesus spoke to a scribe. And a scribe asked him a question. He said, what is the great commandment? And this was Jesus' answer. Mark 12, verse 30. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. That's it. What is being a Christian all about? That's it. It's that simple. It's not about going to church. It's not about doing the programs. Check next week, there'll be nobody in the pews. It's not. That's not what it's about. It's not about the doing. It's about loving that leads to doing. You see, we don't try and show God that we love Him by doing things. We don't show people, try, try and, try and, 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 and I don't try and make myself love my wife by doing things for her. I do things for her because I love her. Likewise, I don't try and do things for God to prove my love, probably more to myself than to Him. I do things for God and I live for Him because I love Him. It's not a schlep, it's not a duty, it's, be, it's, 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 it's because He's captured my heart. And your heart. And that's why you're here this morning. And then he went on to say to the scribe, you know this in your head. I'm paraphrasing, but this is the, really what was behind what he said. You know all of this stuff in your head. You've done well. You are not far from the kingdom of God. Because the scribe was a man who lived his life conforming to an external set of laws. An external set of rules. In other words, there was a set pattern of behavior a set of, of, of a list of instructions that needed to be followed, and he, that's how he would live his life. You had to do this, and you had to do this in the Shabbat, and this is the way you did your sacrifices, and this was right, and this was wrong, and that was life. All these laws and navigating them to make sure you don't step out. When Jesus said you're not far from the kingdom, he meant you're not far from a revelation. A revelation where that law that you try and observe externally becomes written in your heart. And it's no longer something you're trying to observe externally. It becomes something that motivates you and is natural for you. Living the life of love should be the most natural thing for us as believers. Amen? Because that is who God has made us to be. The Word says God has, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. Now, yes, there are things we're going to struggle with from time to time. 
But thank God, he says, you know, if we just yield to love, love never fails. Love never fails. But we've got to yield to it. Amen? And then we also spoke about Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things. Now, what are the these things it was talking about? You know, Jesus said to them, Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. After these things, the Gentiles seek. But you, as my followers, seek first the kingdom. And all these things that the Gentiles seek will be added to you. They'll be taken care of. I will sort them out for you. One of the greatest indictments on the church is that from the outside... We look just like the world. We worry like the world worries. We go after the same things that the world goes after. We strive to get a job so that we can get a salary. And then we come on Sunday morning just to thank Jesus for the job. And our life becomes, our focus of life becomes no different to the world. To make a living, to raise our family, so that we can have a nice life. And maybe maybe even make a name for ourselves along the way. And that spirit has crept very much into the church where our pursuit is not the kingdom. What we give ourselves to is not entirely the kingdom. It is a part of it, but it is distracted devotion. Because although we love God, and we... And I, listen, I'm not knocking you or, or me or, or, or the church in general. The church, I believe, loves God. We love Jesus. Amen? We love God. But we're in a world where stuff happens and life happens and stuff is busy. Amen? And along the way, we often get distracted. Let me ask you, what is it that sets you and I apart from the world today? If we say Jesus, but we live just like the world, then we're deceiving ourselves. Because a tree is known by its fruit, not by its root. Oh, I'm rooted in Christ. Well, where's the fruit? The, root will reveal, the fruit will reveal the root. Let's put it that way. But we think the hidden bits make us okay. Jesus didn't say, a tree shall be known by its root. He said, a tree shall be known by its fruit. What it manifests. A good tree, out of the good treasure, shall bring forth good fruit. What sets us apart from the world is what we actively pursue. What is it that the world actively pursues? Who can give me some examples? Come on. Success. Success. Good one. What else? Entertainment. Entertainment. Power. Money. What is the one thing? This is, this is a biggie with me. I don't know why. This is just so powerful in my heart right now. I just want to be happy. Happy. And we, we have this excuse called, I deserve to be happy, that we throw around as an excuse for not doing what we know is right to be done. Couples are getting divorced left, right and center. Why? Because they deserve to be. I deserve to be happy. I'm a good person. You know, my boss is mistreating me and, and, and I, I'm, getting a, I'm getting the short end of the deal here. I'm getting another job. Why? Well, I deserve to be happy. 
What a lie. Do you want me to tell you what you deserve? Let me rephrase that. Do you want, to t- do you want me to tell you what we deserve? Hell. Punishment. That's not a happy place, by the way. But thank God Jesus came to set us free. And He has made us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So that now, legally, in the courts of heaven, by the grace of God, we deserve justice, righteousness, blessing. But let me tell you something, folks. This pursuit of happiness is a fool's game. Because you cannot win. Because we live in a fallen world where not everything is roses and peaches. Every rose has its thorns. And you're going to go through times in life when there is blessing and when things seem really good on the outside and you're going to go through other times where someone you, just, you love has just died or there's an issue in your relationship. The pursuit of happiness will cause you to compromise on everything that you believe and everything you stand for to receive some kind of deluded state of euphoria. It's a fool's game. None of us can be happy all the time. I mean, I smile a lot. I mean, a lot. I sing a lot. I'm happy a lot. I'm a happy guy. Happy chappy. But not all the time. I'm a positive person. But not all the time. Sometimes I'm just positively negative. But, but, but I want you to hear me here. This, this thing called the pursuit of happiness and I deserve to be happy. What a load of hogwash. There's only one thing that brings true happiness and true joy. And that is seeking the kingdom of God. That is seeking God who within us brings out the fruit of the Spirit. One of which is joy and peace. So that in the midst of a difficult situation, in the midst of a world of turmoil, in the midst of trying situations where happiness seems far away, I abide in a place of rest, in a place of peace, where the joy of the Lord strengthens me to deal with what I, and to face what I've got to face. I can be truly happy and truly sad at the same time. Does that make sense? <laughs> because the joy of the Lord has filled my heart. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who grieve. What does that mean? That means that in your state of mourning, in your state of grieving, you can experience the Macarius blessing of God, where you are blessed upon blessing, measure upon measure. With the fullness of God, with who God is. Now you pursue that, happiness will take care of itself. That's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. He's saying, don't go after all of these things. Don't chase after the finest foods and wines. Wonderful. If you have them, enjoy them, by the way. There's nothing wrong with that. If you have a lovely house and a lovely car and a family and lovely clothes to wear, enjoy them. It's not sinful. But don't let that be your pursuit in life. Because then you look just like the world. And that pursuit is, in its entirety, selfish. Totally selfish. It is focused on my pleasure, my joy, and those immediately around me. Jesus says, no, no, no. Seek first the kingdom of God. 
Seek first Him. Because when you do that, you will achieve or you will realize in your heart a state of joy and peace that transcends your situation. Yes, you'll be happy and blessed where you are, but it will lead you to propagate that elsewhere as well. It becomes bigger than you. Folks, we're in a kingdom that is bigger than ourselves. God's kingdom is not about you. I'm sorry to be the one to have to tell you. It's not all about you. It's all about the kingdom. (laughs) It's not all about me. It's not all about me and mine. And you see, as I speak this word to you, I want you to realize what, 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 what God is doing and what God is saying to you and to me during this time. If the kingdom of God is about change, we know that that change needs to begin in our hearts. And this is not about putting things on you or on me, because the kingdom of God doesn't work that way. But what we have is a king who is saying, don't be distracted. Don't allow yourself to be distracted by the world, by the cares of this world. That's what, if you look at Luke 10, it's a beautiful example. Jesus comes to the house of Mary and Martha and there's stuff going on. People are following Jesus. Jesus is there. Martha thinks, we got a party coming on. I've got to get the buffet underway. And she's in the kitchen. She's cooking up a storm. She's laying tables. And Mary, the lazy sod, is sitting at Jesus' feet, ogling up in his face. And she comes to him and says, Jesus, just hang ten here. Just, I, this is good and all. But get Mary to help me here. There's people coming. And Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha. Martha, Martha. He says this. You are worried and troubled about many things. In other words, you're distracted, girl. You're focusing on so many things of life. You're focusing on busyness. You're doing a whole bunch of stuff. But one thing is needed, he said to her. And Mary has chosen this good thing, and that will not be taken away from her. What did she choose? She chose the kingdom. She chose the king. She chose to behold and to gaze upon the face of Jesus and not worry about everybody else and what they would say and what they would think. You know, when you follow Jesus, you're going to be unpopular sometimes, by the way. But if that bothers you, you're not a worthy disciple. When we become bothered and worried about what the world will say about us, when we propagate Jesus, when we share the kingdom, then those people are our Lord. And I want to get onto that in a moment. In fact, let's, let's, let's jump a little bit. Let's go to 1 Samuel, chapter 9. And I want to show you what can happen when, we, when, when, when distraction goes unchecked in our hearts. When our devotion for God becomes tainted or polluted or perverted in some way. And we're going to look at this together. 1 Samuel chapter 9. And what I'm talking about, this, about to talk to you about, is King Saul. Most of you know about King Saul. 
It was not King Saul who was a merry old Saul, and a merry old Saul was he. No, that was King Saul, King Cole, not sure. I digress. God chose Saul. Well, actually, God didn't want to choose Saul. The people of Israel came to God and they said, God, we look at all these kingdoms around us and they have a king. We want a king. And God was hurt by this because God said, but, but I am your king. Am I not better to you than all of these? And the people said, yeah, you're great and all, but we want a king that we can see. And God gave in to the people of Israel and he said, right, you're going to choose a king. And here you see uh, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2, it speaks about Saul and it says this, and he had a... And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among all the children of Israel. Now, is this a good criteria for choosing your leader? <laughs> then it says this. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any kind of, of his people. If they didn't see the sign that he had a big head there, they kind of deserved what they got, yeah? So Samuel was made king. Sorry, I beg your pardon, Saul. Saul was made king. And I believe he had a heart for God. I believe he was devoted for God, devoted to God. But something happened. Now, even in his priestly service, when 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 the people were were going up against the Philistines. The Philistines had encamped around them. They were going to go up against the Philistines. Saul rallied all the troops. Um, and they all came together. And before they were going to go to battle, the prophet Samuel was going to come and sacrifice. But the prophet Samuel was working on his own time schedule. And he wasn't there by the time Saul wanted him there. And you can imagine, there's the Philistines. Here we are. Chop, chop, Samuel. We've got work to do. And instead of waiting for Samuel, the priest, the only one, according to the law, who was eligible and allowed to make sacrifices to God, Saul took things into his own hands. And we'll see that the reason for that is because he was worried about what the people would say. The people were getting there, they were beginning to put pressure on him, and he buckled to the pressure of the people, and he made the sacrifices. And Samuel said to him, because of that, your throne from this day forward will, is taken away from you. But really, I want you to turn in your Bibles and open your Bibles, please. Don't just look at the screen. Open your Bibles and we're going to read some Scripture together. A long portion of Scripture, which is why I want you to turn there for yourself. 1 Samuel chapter 15. And it says this. Let's read together. Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts. So now get ready for it. Here comes an instruction. I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. How he ambushed him on the way when he came from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Do not spare them. Kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox, sheep, camel, donkey. In other words, the lot. Everything. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay it in waste. Uh, lay, uh, and lay, sorry, and lay in waste in the valley. Lay in wait in the valley. 
Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them, for you showed kindness to the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Hivalah, Havilah, I don't know, good luck with that, all the way to Shur, yes, I'm sure, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and Hang on, let's, let's, let's emphasize this. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all of the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the, fatli- uh, the fatlings, the lambs and all that was good and were unwilling, say unwilling, <laughs> unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. In whose eyes were those things despised and worthless? Despised and worthless. In their own eyes. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and he cried out to the Lord all night. God says he did not fulfill my commandments. Let's keep reading. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to, he, uh, to, meet, uh, to meet Saul... It was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. And he's gone on around, passed by and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. In Samuel's heart and mind, he had done no wrong. But Samuel said, What then is this bleating of sheep in my ears, and the lowing of oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. So in other words, now we're turning this. No, 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 you don't understand. We saved these for... We were doing it for Jesus. That's the modern vernacular. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. So he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. My goodness. This guy's pretty deceived. And gone on the mission which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the plunder and the sheep and the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord God in Gilgal. So now I did what I was supposed to do, but these people. So Samuel said, The Lord, as the Lord is great, ah, sorry, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. In other words, to do what God says to do is better than doing what we think is the best thing to do in the situation. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. Verse 24. And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. So here we, have, here we have now finally a confession. 
I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. Here, because, I want you to read that with me, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Verse 30, then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now please before the elders of the people and I will return that I may worship the Lord your God. What had entered into Saul's heart? Fear of man. He wanted... You see, God had made him king. He didn't have to prove anything to anybody. But something had crept into his heart where he thought he knew better. And suddenly his motives became twisted. And instead of pursuing the favor of God, instead of obeying the commandment of the Lord, he began to seek after or to pursue favor with man. Favor among the people. And it led to him ultimately losing his mind. He lost everything because of that. Now although, Samuel, although Saul may have said, I am doing the will of God, I am doing what I'm called to do, he may have said a good thing, but what was the fruit? Fruit was disobedience. Amen? You see, folks, as we journey with the Lord, as we live life, we legitimately face, every one of us, distractions. Things that come along and that vie for our attention. They pull hard. It could be work, and we need to put in the extra hours to get the job done. It could be spouse or family matters. You know, the kids have got to do this and we've got to get, it, get the kids there and we've got to do this. And are any of these things evil? No, they're not evil. But where we allow our focus, our pursuit to shift from pursuing the kingdom of God to meeting the needs of our family to meeting the needs of our organization or our employer, we're on that slippery slope that leads down to, but I'm doing this for Jesus and ultimate deception. Where our life becomes about the works and the doing and the stuff. And we've completely lost sight of the one we're doing it for. We get distracted, folks. Every one of us. Stuff creeps in. And what starts out as undistracted devotion turns very quickly to distracted devotion. You know, as I preached this message to you last week, I had a bit of a dilemma in my heart. Because this message is following on very much from last week. I didn't get to finish what I had to say last week. But I came to the Lord. I was standing at the back there and I was watching you worship the Lord. And you were beautiful. It was a beautiful, beautiful sight to see the people of God coming together to worship their King. And I said, I, was, I had this turmoil in my heart because I'm, I'm about to speak here, God, about loving you with all of the heart and all the mind and all the strength and, all, and not being distracted. And I look at these people and they're worshipping. And you know, even in my own heart, I say, I'm here to worship you. I'm here, I, I worship. But, although we're here to worship on a Sunday, how do we do on Monday morning? How are we on Wednesday? How are we Friday night or Saturday? How is our devotion affected? Is our devotion, is our desire to worship and bless and please God as strong every day of the week as it is when we're here for, half, for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning? Or do we become very easily distracted? And do other things quickly become more important than the things of God? 
I am not saying we don't love God and we're miserable than we were. I'm saying we love God. And therefore, we need to be careful that we don't allow our hearts to be distracted and drawn away from the kingdom, from the love of God, with, with, through intimacy with Him, as well as expressing that. And let that be our anthem. Let that be our motive. Because when, when any, whenever any other motive exists, we're going down a rabbit warren in our own ways. That we think may be good, like Saul thought what he did was good, but it ended up him losing everything. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Let me read it to you from the Amplified. It says it this way, The heart is deceitful above all things. It is exceedingly perverse and corrupt and severely morally sick. Who can know it or perceive or understand or be acquainted with his own heart and mind? In other words, we can deceive ourselves, folks. As Saul did, into thinking everything we're doing is for God and is an act of worship, etc., etc. We can live our lives in such a way that we say we're living for God. But the question remains, as the question remained with Saul, what fruit are we bearing? What is the fruit of our lives? Are our lives the way we are living them, having an influence and an impact to extend and establish the love or the influence of the kingdom of God in our sphere of influence? Does the way I live my life reflect the love of God to my wife? Do I love my wife as Christ loves the church? Does the way I live my life towards my kids Reflect the Father heart of God? Or am I just trying to get them to just for once obey the rules? Does the way I live my life in the workplace touch the lives of those around me? Not just getting things done for them. I mean deeply touch them. Do I, am I even praying for other people apart from myself and my family? Is there a bigger picture to all of this? It's awfully quiet in here, folks. You see, on our pursuit to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, distractions come along the way. And that's why Jesus added that second part. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. In other words, let your pursuit in life be to bring whatever, to bring every area of your life into that place of right standing with God. Now Jesus has already done that for our spirits, but you and I have a job to do. It's a role of sanctification to, to work with those parts of our lives that are out of order, that are not under the influence of God's righteousness, that where, where His righteousness is not our motivation. See, the Bible says this, Proverbs 23, 7, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The things that are dear to your heart will ultimately lead you. Let me say this to you. No matter how far down the road of Christianity you travel, you will always find your way back to the place where your heart is. Saul's heart was on being the man to the people. And although God had already made him the man, he felt he had something to prove. And so he, he, 
he strived to get something that he already had. It led him away. It led him adrift. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. If any of you long to be my disciples, here's what you're going to have to do. Number one, who can tell me? Number one, deny yourself. We have to deny ourselves. Number two, take up your cross. And number three, oh, daily. So in other words, it's not just a once-off thing. And number three, follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Let me say this to you. Many of us try to take up the cross of Christianity without ever really truly having denied ourselves. And so what happens is this cross becomes a begrudging obligation that you have to bear day by day. And you complain about it, and you moan about it, and everything in life is a problem, and everything is an issue, and everything is a burden. Do you know why things in your life are a burden? Because you have not first denied yourself. Let me give you an example. I have a baby. That is demanding. She cuts into my football time. Or my TV time. Or my relaxing time. Or my eating time. Into my sleeping time. She pretty much cuts, you know, gets into all of my time. Now, if my heart, let's use football as an example, if my heart is, my passion for football outweighs my passion for my child, what's going to happen? I'm going to begrudgingly pick up my child, feed her. I am not going to be a loving father to her because, quite frankly, she's keeping me from what I'm really interested in. And if we, but, but if I deny myself that and devote myself completely to my child, there's no greater joy. Because there is not a pulling of the will constantly. And you see, so often, when we hear about, having, about the things of God, about being led by the Spirit of God, about getting involved in the programs and the things of God, these things become a burden for us because we've not, we've not denied ourselves first to follow Christ. So we're carrying our cross, but it's not a willing journey of surrender it's this begrudging burden that's placed on our back by this guy called Jesus. And he's now set all these rules for us to live by. Do you understand the difference? Finally, the last three words of that, of that scripture verse. Deny himself daily, take up your cross and follow me. You see, to be a disciple of Jesus means I have one pursuit. I follow Him. I follow Him. That's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. It doesn't say never look after the food, never look after the drinks, never look after the food or the, or the, or the clothing or the house, but seek first the kingdom of God. The Bible says the other commandment like it. And here's the, here's the three-part three part instruction that we get from God that we're focusing on. This week is the first part. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the next two, love your neighbor as yourself. So in other words, that love has an effect on yourself which, infect, which affects you to the point where it has an effect on your neighbor.
You see, it's not about doing the works, church. It's not about the doing. It's about the King and being devoted to the King. It's about following Him. You see, when I have my eyes on Jesus, when my heart is pursuing Jesus, when that is my pursuit, I quickly identify anything that draws my attention away. And therefore I can identify it and deal with it. In closing, please turn in your Bibles to Revelation 2, 2-5. Here we have a group of people who were focused very much on the doing. They started well. But the angel writes to the church in Ephesus, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. You have persevered and have patience. You have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, so God commends these people for their service. But he says this, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Your focus has shifted to the works, not the Lord of the works. He says, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. What was the first works? What was it the thing? What was the thing that you did when you first met your spouse husbands? You pursued them. You came up with all kinds of creative ideas to, to show them that you loved them and you phoned them in the middle of the day just called to say, I love you. I do that nowadays. My wife says, what do you want? There's a pursuit that, that, has, that takes place. And so often in our lives, church, hear me. This is the word of the Lord to us. So often the pursuit for God gets replaced with just doing stuff. We have become distracted from the King of glory by earthly things. Ministry is good only as long as it is, as it is an expression of the love of God that we receive through intimacy. Let me tell you, last couple of verses, what the kingdom of God is like. Here Jesus gives two short parables. Matthew 13, verse 44 to 46. Write these down and meditate on these for a while this week. Jesus says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for the joy over it, he goes and sells all he has to buy that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Do you want to realize the value of the kingdom of God in your life? Do you want to experience the fullness of the kingdom of, your God, of God in your life? It will cost you everything. These people, once they saw what the kingdom looked like, once they had a sight of the goodness of God, once they had, had tasted of His goodness, they forsook everything else to follow and to go after that thing. 100% devotion. 100% sacrifice. 100% focus. Undistracted devotion. 
Are you willing to give up everything for the sake of the kingdom? That is a poignant question. It's a difficult one to answer, isn't it? Because so many things have crept in and captured our hearts. If God were to say to you today, I want you to pack up, I want you to sell everything, I'm sending you off to Kenya, to China. I'm sending you off to northern Iraq. What would your response be? God, does my medical aid cover me there? What about my job? What about my family? What about this? What about that? I've got so many things, God. Never mind that, church. You see, we ask, we, we ask that, that question and it seems so much larger than life. And the reason it's so much larger than life is because of this. What if God says to you, that person in the office next to you, I want you to go and preach the word of God to them. I want you to go tell them that I love them. Suddenly we're back to, no, God, hang on a second. Maybe Iraq didn't seem so bad. <laughs> Maybe that's a better option. Can, can, we, can we go back to Iraq rather, please? That's, more, that's easier. They don't know me there. I don't have a reputation to, prove, to, to, to uphold. Folks, shall we stand, worship team? Would you please take the stage? I want to tell you this morning, God is not mad at you and oops, sorry. God is not mad at you and he's not mad at me. God loves us. He wants to see his kingdom come in our lives. But what God is saying to us, some church, and if we have ears, let us hear what the Lord is saying to us this morning. He's saying you're too we are we are too easily distracted. And the devotion of our hearts is too easily shifted. God wants all that we are, not just some of what we are. God wants us to worship Him according to His standard, with everything, not according to what we see fit or how we see fit. Anything less than complete surrender to His love and to His Lordship limits the kingdom. You know, the church is still God's plan for the salvation of this world. You are God's plan for salvation to come to your workplace, to your circle of friends. But in order for that to happen, you've got to get, we have got to get off our little, but what about me, pedestal. And we've got to get off our little, but what will they say, pedestal. And say, you know what, God, you are more important to me than any of these things. And what God is saying is, for this to happen, what I hear the Lord saying is, for this to happen, for this to find its expression, it doesn't begin by just looking for things to do. It begins by first looking to Him and saying, God, I've become distracted. I've allowed myself to become worried about many things. A lot of stuff has crept in. And before I look to do anything, I want to just look to You. I want to turn my heart towards you. I want to say, Lord, I'm sorry for allowing myself to be distracted. And I want you to take center stage. I want you to be Lord again. I want to open up those rooms in my heart, where the, those, those, those keep it hidden rooms, where I let you into the foyer and then I throw everything else into the basement that I don't want you to see. 
Because it's only that revelation of God's love, it's only that intimacy with Him that will lead to a life transformation that will lead to a change within where the kingdom of God becomes the expression of who we are and it is not something that is put upon us it is not something we feel we have to do because some preacher stands behind a pulpit and he says you have to share the gospel it's not because week after week we pray that we have to be the the the, the harvesters who go out and send into the field it's not this thing that has to be done but the love of God has just so captured our hearts that we cannot help but share it So let's turn our hearts to the Lord this morning, church. And let's be honest with God this morning. And if you recognize that what I'm saying to you, what I've been saying, resonates with your heart in some way this morning, then let's bring that to the altar this morning. Let's repent. Let's turn our hearts to the God, to, to the Lord. Let's, let's surrender all and say, God, you come and be Lord. I want to seek you first with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. Would you come and be Lord? Would you pray this prayer with me this morning, church? Father God, I want to be yours completely. Would you forgive me, Lord, where I've become distracted, where the affairs of this world, the cares of this world, have distracted me from you? have drawn me away from seeking your face. Forgive me, God, for where I have allowed other things to become my first priority. This morning I repent. I turn from every distraction. I turn from every pursuit that is not you. And I set my eyes on you, Jesus. And I say, speak to me. For I hear your voice. And I long to follow you. I long to be filled with all of who you are. I long to be a vessel of honor in your hands. Come and fill me afresh, Lord Jesus. Fill me afresh, Holy Spirit, with your love, with your power, with your anointing. Capture my heart afresh, Lord God, I pray. Help me to turn to you every day to sacrifice all others in the pursuit of who you are. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources and more information about this ministry, come and visit us at www.alphaomega.org.za.